Hello. And welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilker. We have so many things to talk about today, Stephen. <laughs> it's spring or summer. Check De- it out. <laughs> depending on where you're living. In Chicago, it's summer. I cannot get enough. It's been like peak shorts weather all week. Yeah. I'm in heaven. Hell it's yeah. Great. I wore yeah. shorts yesterday to go to the beach. And uh, as soon as we got there, it started like actually monsooning. It was like... Like I bought some books with me. I was like so excited to sit on the beach and read a book. And uh, it was just raining so, so hard that we we drove like an hour to get there and then got out of the car. We were like, well, (laughs) and then just turned around and went back home. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'll I'll get my beach book in. Fun fact about Chicago. There are several beaches. I feel like people outside the city don't really know like what the vibe is when it's summer. You got that cool lake. The cool lake, Lake Michigan. That's the one. Anyone who visits for the first time is like, it looks like the ocean. It's like, yeah, dude. Have you seen a map? It's like several states big. <laughs> You're not just going to see the end because it's called the lake. It's a big anyway. lake. It's a very big lake. I like Lake Michigan. Speaking of cities, <laughs> I have picked up a 2022 game. It came out a few months ago, but like a clown, I've slept on it. I know. I tried to pitch you on it so hard. Yeah, I was like, I'll get to it eventually. Sometimes there are games that come out. Again, as we always say, we're not beholden to the release schedule. And sometimes there are games that come out where I'm like, I know I'll like this, but I don't need to get it right away. Like, I'll wait before the year is over. Like, when we're yeah. preparing for Goaty, I'll, like, go back and play stuff that I missed. Like, poor Horizon Forbidden West is, like, waiting for November to come along. So yeah. I'll finally go play that and see how I feel about it. This game is Kirby in the Forgotten Land, the newest Kirby game Um, I think you and I were both very excited for this because we've often said Kirby is like kind of the in this weird place in the Nintendo library where there's such an iconic character and they're like still very much present like Kirby games come out fairly often people want Kirby games people generally like Kirby games yeah but it kind of feels like Kirby's been swimming in the B tier for the last like decade. Right. Like since Crystal Shards, I would say there hasn't really been like a Kirby game that feels like a a sort of flagpole release. They've all sort of felt like weird experiments that don't quite work. Yeah, totally. I, th- I think you and I playing all the Nintendo DS games specifically is really hammering that point home. That yeah. Like, the like. Yeah late 2000s specifically were just like a weird dearth it was like you you had (laughs) you had crystal shards on n64 which actually i think by the time this episode comes out we'll be in the n64 like switch online thing i'm so excited about that you can play that i'm so yeah i'm actually thinking about doing like a a short let's play of that because i should i haven't played it since it came out so at at my wow beaches at my cousin's beach house uh i played that game Um, also the multiplayer for that game is really really fun and you can play online so like I will probably primarily do that. I'm wow. so excited I honestly didn't even know that game had multiplayer, so that's exciting. I, I'm going to tell you, there's one mini game that I think it's called Checkerboard Chase, but you can play as any of the main characters. Uh-huh. There's like King Dedede, the artist character, yeah. Kirby and Waddle Dee, I think. And essentially you're all on this like grid in the sky. And if you push A, you fire like a color that goes down the lane in front of you and all those blocks fall down. So you essentially have to make the other character fall down. But like there's a delay to when the blocks fall. So like early on, it's fairly easy to like move and not do that. But because there's three other players, like those rows will intersect and the stage gets smaller and smaller. It's really good. Wow. I, I, I cannot get enough of that game. It's highly underrated. Play Checkerboard Chase. It's my goatee of 2022. Wow. I'm very excited. OK, well, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to revisit that. But that, that game came out and was like great. And I think I feel like that's like widely I, I, I don't know maybe, maybe i'm wrong about this but it feels like widely 
regarded as like the last great great like must play kirby game and then there was like you know we obviously did the game boy advance stuff last year and played nightmare in dreamland and amazing mirror both of which are kind of knocked down a peg for various reasons nightmare in dreamland being a remake amazing mirror being like not quite what it could have been i think yeah phone centric is yeah. my review for that yeah <laughs> uh the ds stuff uh, you know, we'll talk more about in the episode, but like it's really all over the map. Like it's yeah. as all over the map as you can get. And, you know, there are a couple games on 3DS as well. And this is also not the first Kirby game on the Switch. Uh, they had like a free to play, like multiplayer weird thing. At one point, there was like a battle game. Um, and now we have Forgotten Land. So Kirby's had like a real a real weird time. Um, also on the Wii and the Wii U, there was some weird stuff. I just feel like there hasn't been like a hey, we're really trying to take Kirby and 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 put this franchise at the top of the Nintendo pillar again uh, yeah. until this one. Because the two approaches have been like, let's just do what we've done before or let's completely rewrite what Kirby is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you see that on the DS. You have something like Squeak Squad. It's basically like kind of a, a retro style Kirby game overall. But mm-hmm. like it kind of feels like, OK, this is a little bit like a muted version of what came before. Yeah. Um, and then you have like canvas curse, which was like draw on the touchpad where Kirby will go. You can't move Kirby on his own. Yeah. You got to draw. It's like, I don't really want to do that either. I do feel like it says a lot that the best Kirby game since the N64 one was probably Kirby's air ride, which is like the least like any other Kirby <laughs> game. I believe that was that and amazing mirror were the last Sakurai led Kirby. Games. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, I, I think he also did crystal shards, but he was like the Kirby guy for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I feel like once he left, I don't know if there was as clear vision for that IP mm. afterwards. Yeah. Um, not, to, you know, not to give him all the credit, but I just, it isn't something that's a coincidence given the timeline of Kirby games. Yeah. I, I'm curious. I, I've never actually looked this up, but I'm curious if the planet Robobot team is the same team that made this one. Cause that, that to me was like the last one that I actually recommended to people it was like, Hey, if you like Kirby, I would recommend planet Robobot. It's like good, not great, but it's definitely better than a lot of the other stuff I've played. Um, yeah. Especially if the 3ds shop is going to go away forever. It's worth yeah. picking up. Um, Cause it's pretty good. Exactly. But you know what is more than pretty good, Brendan? It's Kirby and the Forgotten Land for the Nintendo Switch entertainment <laughs> system. Definitely. Is that the one? Is that the one? Did I get it right? Did I guess it yeah, right? That's, that's what I was going to say. Oh, you nice. got Hell it yeah. right. Yeah. What if I was like, Amazing Mirror, check it out. You've got eight <laughs> flip phones and you can yeah. call other Kirbys. Kirby Superstar again. Ported it again <laughs> to another console. There was a world in which you and I were going to show up at the DS episode and be like, well, Kirby, Kirby Superstar is uh, the best one again. <laughs> it's, I mean, Kirby Superstar is my favorite Kirby game. Maybe until now. It's very, so I'll be clear. Yeah. I started Kirby in the Forgotten Land this morning. Okay. This is like <laughs> real fresh. Yeah. And I watched your, you streamed the demo of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think like I think a lot of people were uncertain about what this game was going to be based on the marketing. Like it was definitely good marketing, but it was also unclear what the game was. Because at first, yeah, just given the like 360 camera whirl with Kirby looking at a big green horizon, everyone unconsciously was like, oh, it's open world. This is going right. to be Breath of the Wild Kirby. That's kind of what Nintendo's been doing with a lot of their franchises. They just like apply an open world model to it, like Super Mario Odyssey or, you know, Breath of the Wild, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then the demo came out and it was like just straight up levels. And I was like, oh, okay, so it's not open world. It's more of a 3D world approach. And I watched the demo. It looks cute, but I was like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I need that right away. Again, full clown makeup in a car with thousands of my friends. I was like, I don't know if I, (laughs) if I need this right away. Honking 
in the misguided night uh-huh. that I got. I, I got it recently. Actually picked it up alongside the physical copy of 13 Sentinels. Really good purchase. Oh, yeah. Hell and yeah. I played it this morning because I had a very busy week and I, I didn't have as much video game time as normal, but I wanted to check out something new. And I, I kind of went and expected like this will be like this is going to be at least like a B. Like it's going to be at least like a fun time. Uh-huh. And I think it's better than Elden Ring. This is <laughs> this game fucking rules. I was screaming in my seat, yelling, singing along. This game has like a full-blown anime <laughs> intro that no one told me about yeah. where you s- suck up a car and go driving to like the best song ever. It's Drive My Car. It, they just they just remade Drive My Car in the Kirby and the Forgotten Land engine. I can't believe how good this game is. I yeah. I am I'm immediately in love. I might stream it right after we record. It's just pure joy, truly. Like I know that's like the the like the critic line for this game, but uh-huh. like that's that's the word that comes to mind. It it feels very similar in that way to like Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, where it's like they just want this game to be as fun and charming as possible. Like that's kind of it. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think playing this game with this sort of up and down expectation of like, is Kirby going open world? I actually think that this game, and you said this in the stream, I believe, like this is just applying the 3D model to Kirby as we've known it. And like, that is enough. Like, I think that this could be the blueprint for X Kirby games going forward. Totally. Because it it just works so well. I mean, I think that like, it also proves to me that like open world doesn't have to be the blueprint for everything. We talk about this a lot because a lot of games especially in the AAA space, think they have to be the biggest and the best thing ever. And this sort of really celebrates the value of like a traditional level-based system where there are like secrets if you want to look and there's a general path to progression if you just want to like go through it, you know, Spring Breeze style. Yeah. I think it's like truly, Nintendo at their best, I always think is like great for all ages. Like it's, you know, you have stuff that's more for kids like Pokemon and Yoshi. And then this stuff that's like a little bit for an older crowd like Metroid or or even Zelda in times. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like for everyone, truly. Like this is for me, someone who has grown up with this series and is like a full blown adult 32. Here I am. And it's also good for like kids, you know, who are playing like mm-hmm. like if this is their first video game. They're going to have a great time to achieve success for both audiences is really, really hard. Yeah. So like this totally. game deserves a lot of credit just for that. I, I always am really blown away when any piece of media can like pull off that like true universal quality. And I think also like it's just one thing that Kirby in its many versions of the series has never really focused on is giving the powers utility like there are a couple games like oh you need like a firepower to do this or whatever but like the fact that this game this bases levels around what powers are available makes it feel a little bit more like Mario Odyssey where there's like a little bit more meaning to what you're getting but it also still allows for the creativity and it still allows for you to use what powers you want and it rewards like exploration and and going off the beaten path the same way an open world game would it's just structured in a more linear style. So I love it. I just, I'm holding it. That was me putting it down. <laughs> it's, uh, it's extremely good. I'm actually, I'm pretty close to the end at this point. I've nice. been playing it just kind of on and off in the background, uh, the past couple of weeks. I've still been doing the entire thing multiplayer, which has been really fun. Yeah. Doing, doing couch co-op. It's extremely good. I, th- I think going back to what you're talking about, about this 
being like perfect for, you know, a kid's first video game. I think there are two versions of this uh, and it's kind of the brilliance of this multiplayer, which I know, as I talked about in our first episode about it, I know some people this rubs the wrong way, but I think it works really well where player one is Kirby and player two is Waddle Dee with like a spear, essentially. Yeah. Um, And the way it works, I think, is depending on like the level of video game acumen the person playing ha- has, you can say like, hey, you should play as Kirby or you should play as Waddle Dee. So like if it's your first video game ever, play as Waddle Dee because all you got to do is run around and like smash a button and you'll attack stuff and like you have pretty good survivability and you'll be fine. If you're like one step up, then play as Kirby. And then I think just like if you know what you're doing with video games at all, you'll have a good time with either of them. I've been playing through the whole game as Waddle Dee. I've been <laughs> player two for the whole experience and it's been so fun still i i know i brought this up in the first episode but i really like playing as waddle d like i would play through this whole game just as waddle d if they had like a character select yeah really really good experience but outside of that i just think this game gets better and better and better and i'm really excited for you to see some of the stuff that they start to unravel over time because they have you know obviously all the mouthful mode stuff and the ways in which they're able to uh like craft entire levels around these like really silly ideas like what if kirby became a giant light bulb is so funny um (laughs) and 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 and, uh their exploration of the different like methods of traversal and uh you know unlocking different pathways with those mouthful modes are really good i really really love this kind of balance between like go find secrets and and also there's a critical path yeah um, totally. because the way the way the game works uh and, and i think it's worth going back to that demo which is just like here's four levels in a row and the last level is like a boss fight um and you just like select them from a menu the way the game actually works when you pick it up and i, and I actually think this demo was not very good for that reason i feel like they should have at least incorporated the overworld side of it because the overworld is where it gets really interesting i think the overworld and and waddle d town uh, is like kind of the crux of this game to me. Yeah. Um, so the way it works is you have this big overworld where you're selecting the levels back and forth. You know, you can choose whatever ones you want. And they also have these like time trials or like power trials alongside them, which are these like rifts you can jump into where they'll be like, OK, you're going to have the hammer ability and you're going to have to uh, smash all these blocks within a certain amount of time. And if you do, you get a bunch of rewards. You can take those rewards back to Waddle D Town, which is where you're like saving all the Waddle Dees who've been sucked into the forgotten land alongside you. And the more you find and unlock, the bigger Waddle D Town becomes and you'll get more services and stuff that you can explore. So there's like there's like a shop where you can go in and choose whatever ability you want. You can upgrade your abilities there. There's another area that's like a uh, like a restaurant that you can work at a little bit, which is very silly. There's a lot of stuff that you can you can unlock like a house for Kirby where you can just go like take a nap. Uh, eventually you unlock like a Coliseum, uh, which is amazing. But the idea of going back and forth between like, OK, I I am playing through the game and just like making my way through the way I would any Kirby game. But if I take the time and effort to find all these secrets, Waddle D Town becomes more interesting and I can start to unlock more and more interesting stuff to do in there. That's really fun. That's really fun. That's a really rewarding loop. So you can kind of go at it two ways. You could just like critical path it all the way to the end. Or you could say, like, I want to build Waddle D Town into a bustling metropolis uh, (laughs) and you'll have a good time that way, too. Yeah, I think giving the fact that the game gives utility and weights all the powers and also the secrets, the fact that like all the unlockables are things that make Waddle D town a better place, very similar to Terrytown in that way. Totally. It makes it have a really satisfying loop that wouldn't really be present in a more traditional Kirby game where it's just like yeah. level after level. So I think that there is like 
a modern interpretation of this sort of retro style of of levels, I guess. But yeah, I just I I love it. I think it's also a really smart choice to have the mouthful mode exist independent of what power you currently have. Yeah. Because I feel like it would be kind of annoying to like have to like drop sword or fire to then swallow a cone and then use that <laughs> and then have to go and get your power back. Like you just still have that. Because the idea is that you actually aren't getting the power of the cone. It's just like in your head. Yeah. Yeah. Kirby Kirby can't fit that entire thing. <laughs> so so you just kind of become that uh, because you've only swallowed it halfway. <laughs> I just like I can't quite trace the line of thought that led to mouthful mode but i i love that it exists yeah like was the pitch was like what if kirby didn't do it right (laughs) 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 what if kirby couldn't do it and then (laughs) and was just was just on a car and that's how the game opens Yeah, yeah let's do it uh some of the mouthful mode options are amazing too i don't know how many have you seen so far i have seen the cone which is actually weirdly the most fun so yeah, far the cone's great because you can do like a ground pound attack into like cracks in the floor so you know there's a the boss fights are also really well done which is like a thing i didn't think i would say about a kirby game but yeah. like i mean the bosses in like superstar and some of the older ones were always kind of exciting and they were like a spectacle but they yeah they didn't really like play that well whereas these feel very well done they, they feel a lot like the mario odyssey bosses mm-hmm. in that way where they're all kind of based around a power but like the least the one boss i fought they gave me the option of two different powers so i'm like okay i can i they have two in mind but i can choose which one i want to do this was the gorilla fight in the mall uh, no, I, I saw you stream that one. This is like the very first. I, it might be might even be a mini boss, the one with the shields. Oh, it's like a remember. knight yeah. with the shield. It, very early on. Back to mouthful mode. I've seen cone, vending machine, the car, and uh, I think that's it so far. So those three. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I'm excited for you to see some more. They... How many are there? <laughs> or should you not tell me? I can think of at least three more off the top okay. of my head. Uh, yeah. And there's probably more if I were that's to guess. That's amazing. Yeah, I think you're gonna have a very good time with the rest of the game. I, th- I check check in when you're when you're further in. I definitely will. I mean, there are some games that are just built to make me want to do everything, and that's not something I normally feel. I'm usually pretty good, like just doing what I want to do and then moving on. But this is a game where I feel like I want to actually do and see everything. Totally, which is a feeling I don't have in a lot of games. Yeah, so. my my one complaint about the game is that uh, you can't do the like special trial mode stuff in multiplayer you have to do that single player which is a little bit of a bummer because you really do need to do those to unlock the upgrades for your powers and the power upgrades are so fun and so weird and ridiculous oh cool i know um, you could upgrade powers it's awesome yeah so eventually you'll get uh if you're like exploring the levels you'll find blueprints which you can give to the waddle d who runs the shop and they'll figure out a way to like upgrade your power uh, and then you have to like spend a bunch of currency that you get from the time trial modes can you upgrade the Waddle Dee with the spear or is he, is he just that way? He's just perfect the whole time. <laughs> Doesn't need to be upgraded. That that dynamic really reminds me of um, Symphony of the Night where like you play the game as Alucard who, you know, he, he can learn the abilities of his enemies kind of like Kirby in a weird way. And you level up and you get all these powers. And then you could also yeah. play the game as Richter Belmont, who's just like a dude with the whip. Like yeah. you can have the same experience, but with like a very limited option with combat. Yeah. Or focused option, I guess. That's, I think, kind of why I appreciate it a little bit. Because my favorite thing, as I talked about in the Game Boy Advance episode, my favorite thing about Nightmare in Dreamland was when you beat the game, if you got 100% and found all the secrets, you could play through the entire game again as Meta Knight. 
um, and do like Meta Knight's side of that story. Uh, so you're like going through all the levels like before Kirby gets there, essentially, oh, uh, as, as Meta Knight. But you just have your sword and stuff uh, and it rules. It's so good. And I feel like Waddle Dee with a spear is definitely giving me <laughs> giving me that energy. It speaks a lot of confidence to also like we're proud enough of our level design and the game to like not even have Kirby's powers. Yeah, like you can still enjoy the game without the central mechanic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it is good though. I mean, when you're playing in multiplayer, uh, and Kirby like goes into mouthful mode and like half swallows a car, Waddle Dee just jumps on top of the car and then you can like yes. throw spears oh, uh, that's from sick. the top of the car. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really double the, dash. Yeah. The way, <laughs> uh, the way they include Waddle Dee into the mouthful mode stuff is always very funny. Yeah. I mean, it's like the character animations, like all of that is so charming. It's like so overwhelmingly cute. It's great. Yeah. I, it's I love this game. Wonderful video game. Yeah. I'm excited for you to see some more bosses. Definitely. Definitely. Let me know how you're doing. I got a Sir Kibble amiibo in the game. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> oh yeah. They have the like gotcha machine. Yeah. Uh, there's another mouthful mode where like you find like a, I don't even know what it is. Like just this weird spherical, construction that's like a water tower yeah water tower and then you do mouthful mode over it and it like treats it like a gashapon ball so you like crack it open and you get like you know sir kibble two stars thanks for nothing but uh yeah it's uh (laughs) it's a wonderful game one of the mouthful mode things is is kirby just like shoves his whole body onto a hose that's like shooting water out and then just like (laughs) fills up like a big balloon Oh, I love that. It's amazing. Wow. Okay. I could talk about mouthful mode forever. Do you want to move on? Yeah. I just want to say like, this is a really like playing this game and thinking about what's already come out on switch and what's coming out in a few months. Even this is a really strong year for Nintendo. Like I'm really excited about Splatoon. I'm really curious about Xenoblade Chronicles three. Like there's a lot of really cool stuff happening this year on switch. So yeah, I'm just excited about all that. Yeah, me too. It's, it's also very helpful. I don't think we've talked about it yet, but, uh, but Starfield got delayed into 2023. Oh, yeah. So that's actually good for us, probably. In, <laughs> there's an alternate universe where you and I are arguing about Starfield and, and Elden Ring. And I think yeah. it, just, it just makes things cleaner. It's just much better for us. Who do you think would be Team Starfield in that in that alternate universe? Um, oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Maybe we both agree on Starfield. (laughs) It'd be us against the world. Everybody would be saying Elden Ring. (laughs) Everyone everyone unsubscribes. We get like, you know, just fallen from grace. Yeah. (laughs) Starfield is just like horrible. The new Jump the Shark is like, they went to the stars. Like, don't listen to that show anymore. Like, it sucks now. They said Starfield was the best game of 2022. I like when you talk to the space traders and they go, Greeting, citizen. <laughs> Need something? We're all talking about the moon. <laughs> Welcome to space. By Orion's belt. It's good to see it. This sucks. <laughs> I would I would love just like don't change anything about oblivion, but just put it in space. <laughs> We're all talking about the space emperor's murder. <laughs> yeah, just put space before yeah. everything. <laughs> It's you. You are the one from my space dreams. <laughs> by spaces, or by spaces, or by spaces, Herbal Grand Herbal knows you need big weapons. Slash in space. The big orc weapon shop. I have to hit the eject space button. Space weapons for big heroes. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> 
All right, you want, you want to move on? Slamming the escape key. I've got like another type five about space oblivion <laughs> in me. But if you want to quell my ambition, yeah, we can move on. Uh, yeah, let's take a break. A mouth, a mouthful mode over all my fun. <laughs> let's take a break. Yeah. We'll come back. We'll talk about a lot of indie games. How about that? That sounds good to me. That sounds more normal. <laughs> all right. See you soon. That's what our show's known for. Another normal episode. Another normal episode from Into the Aether. It's normal out here in space. <laughs> Steven. Space Steven. We're back. <laughs> space Steven. That's the best you got? Yep. <laughs> I mean, it is on track. That was for... the whole bit. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It, now in this moment of lucidity, I'm, I'm realizing... <laughs> what the bit was all about and it was just saying space it so. was just saying space you got me so there was an indie world recently yeah uh nintendo had a little event which i streamed it was interesting i i didn't i didn't dislike it i'll say that much i i was excited about some of the stuff that was announced in there and i don't think we're gonna like go through and talk about it if you want like takes on it that video exists uh, it's up on our youtube I will say on a on a kind of high level, the thing that I was tweeting about and talking to some people about in the discord is I do feel like that method for the indie world definitely does a disservice to some of the games sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I, I was a little bit bummed out by the way some of it worked because because the way the way those events work is they will have like a developer video where like some of the developers will be on screen. They'll be like, we're so excited to show you our new thing. Isn't this so cool? This is great. Let's throw to a trailer and then they throw to a trailer that the developers put together and it's very cool. And then it'll like fade out of the trailer after they're like done. And it's like, cool. Wow, that was a great presentation. It'll fade out of that into like just like gameplay capture footage. And then the two hosts will be like poopy (laughs) over this like right right after this like very passionate developer moment. And to be to be fair, like that doesn't always happen. But every once in a while, there are instances in which like. I find that the indie world format really does like a disservice to the tone and the vibe. That the- I, I should say so if they go poopy. After. <laughs> that really got me. I know you mean. I mean, I, it's I feel bad because I feel like it's like I don't know who's writing the scripts or whatever. Like, yeah, but that's the thing. It feels like no one like the hosts don't really want to have that be their moment either. You know, yeah. like this summer is going to be so wacky. It's like, no, stop. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean, especially because like at the very least, it's like, OK, the developers have like the intended way they want to pitch their their idea and their game. And then there's like an addendum to that that at best is like, all right, we've already seen it, you know, yes, like even if exactly. it's a good host, but it's like we already got what they wanted us to see. So, yeah, it is always a little strange. Yeah, I feel like there's yeah, there's three versions of it. There's like one where the developers will talk about their game and it'll be like really passionate and cool and interesting. And I'm like, yeah, I'm into it. And then they'll show a trailer. And then after that, the host just like repeat everything that the developers said. It's like, cool. Yeah, we've seen this. Like, I know I I just learned all this like actually one minute ago. Like, I'm good. The second version is like they dunk on the thing, which happened more in this one than ever before and kind of like highlighted for me why this format can be problematic. Or there's the third version where it works where like the developer doesn't have that interview like there is no developer interview there's just like a trailer and then gameplay footage and then the host can actually talk about what's going on and that's the more interesting one is like when yeah. the, you know if you want to make this like host format work when the brunt of that is done by the developers that works but in in the event where they don't submit a video or they don't have a video or whatever then the hosts do it and that's cool i love that yeah that's a good that's a good point i have really enjoyed the tree houses in the past i don't know if they still do those but like i like the yeah usually around like e3 
season. I remember the three houses one was like got me pumped for the game because they're just showing like, okay, like here's like kind of unedited, like we're just playing the game and talking about it, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. That's where I think a host could really work. It's 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 authentic, it's in the moment. It's not like a canned, you know. Totally. It is it feels very phony. Yeah. All that having been said, they showed off a bunch of things that I was pretty interested in um, two things that released during the event that I definitely want to talk about. The first being the demo for Card Shark, which is I feel like you and I frequently talk about uh, years gone by E3. There was an Xbox event where they showed like a sizzle reel of like 15 games and one of them was Cuphead. And everyone was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah. Give me more of that. What is that yeah, thing? Yeah. That looks amazing. You know, just like smushed between 20 other video games. Cuphead looked amazing and everybody wanted it. I feel like that happened with a direct at some point where uh, we saw like maybe 50 to 60 seconds of Card Shark, which is this game being published by Devolver Digital, where as far as I could tell from the original like sizzle of it, uh, it was just like you're a person who knows how to cheat really well at poker. And uh, you're just like playing poker, but also cheating a lot and trying to not die and like get killed uh, because it's like, you know, the Victorian era and you're swindling people out of doubloons or whatever. Um, (laughs) And uh, I didn't really know what the actual game was going to be. And then in this event, they like kind of showed more of what it was and then said like, hey, there's a demo out now and there's a date. It's coming first week of June, I believe. Uh, or maybe first week of July. Either way, it's very soon. So I downloaded this demo to check it out. I was really curious about what the whole vibe was. And it's really, really cool. It's a really cool game. I, I would definitely recommend checking out the demo if you're even remotely interested in Card Shark at all. But visually speaking, absolutely beautiful video game. I, I just think it has this like kind of like heavy inked painterly style that I really appreciate. Um, all the environments are just like stunning. I think right in the beginning of the game, it doesn't really put its best foot forward artistically because you're just like in a tavern. But as soon as you get out of this tavern and you're like exploring the wider world, it's just so, so pretty. But the the setup, the conceit for the game is you're just like a guy who is a waiter uh, at this like really shitty tavern. Uh, your boss, the lady who runs the place, like really hates your guts and is constantly belittling you. Um, <laughs> and uh you're like constantly serving this one guy who continually has people come in and play poker against him. And he essentially pulls you aside at a certain point. He's like, Hey, I see the way she treats you all the time. I'm sure you're making no money. I'm sure you're making nothing. How about you help me out on the side and I'll, you know, teach you some stuff and I'll give you, you know, a little kickback of whatever money you help me make. Uh, so you're like, cool. Yeah. That sounds way better than what I'm doing, which is just like pouring wine and grog for nobody's. So he essentially teaches you to go and pour wine for other people he's playing poker against. And while you're doing that, look at whatever cards they have Mm. and just figure out like what their hand looks like and what suit they have the most of. So like, is it spades, clubs, hearts or diamonds? And then go back to the table and you have to wipe the table down in a specific way where like if you're doing it clockwise, that means that this person has more hearts than anything else. If you're doing it counterclockwise, that means spades. If you do it like up and down, that means that they have more clubs and then side to side is diamonds. So essentially, you're just like helping this guy cheat by like going and pouring wine for people. And the way it works, and I think this is so brilliant, is so much of this is about timing and like not giving up the whole spiel, like not giving up the ruse. So When you go and you go to pour wine for somebody, you literally have to like use the analog stick to like point the bottle downwards so you can like very slowly pour some wine for a person. And while you're doing that, the the screen splits in half. So you're watching the cup get filled up and simultaneously you have to like 
look at the hand of cards that the other person has and you need to make sure that you're not overflowing the wine or like under pouring or whatever so very frequently you'll end up in situations where you're just like pouring so much wine that the cup just overflows and you get it all <laughs> over the person um because like oh it took you a little bit too long to like get an understanding of what cards this person had and then simultaneously when you go back and you're like doing the wipe down sometimes it's hard to remember which way is which so you might fuck up and that I feel like is a really good encapsulation of what this whole game is, because over time, I don't want to say like what happens story wise, but over time you end up traveling with this guy and you start to meet a lot of other people who are also like crooks and thieves and and, and ne'er-do-wells in their own various ways. And they'll all just teach you like weird, cool card tricks. It's like, OK, cool. Here's three card Monty where it's like three cards, put them down, find the queen and like, here's all the different ways you can like throw one of the cards in your sleeve or here's all the different ways that you can like pocket a card or like hand a card that will uh, that that will like throw a bunch of people off. So they think that they're following the queen. Turns out they're not, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it all involves these like really intricate and timed like button presses and using the analog six in specific ways. And you start to get really good at it. And I think that's kind of one of the more interesting things about Card Shark. It's one of the things that I find most interesting is you really do have to practice all of these moves the same way you would in real life uh, to get good at them, to get to the point where you're actually making money. So you start to learn all of these different things. And then you and this guy have to like travel around to different towns in France and just like try and pull them off, like try and pull off a bunch of stunts, and like steal a bunch of money from people. And that that experience is really cool. That's a really it's a really cool setup for this game that is just about stealing a bunch of money from rich people. I love that idea so much. It's also a really creative spin on deck builders, which I feel like Devolver has been publishing a lot of those types of games mm. lately, um, you know, like sort of a twist on a deck builder in that way. In this case, you're kind of like card counting essentially yeah that sounds awesome i really love that idea definitely so it's out right now or is it just the demo available the demo is out now it comes out in june or july i forget gotcha. which one june's gonna be a big month based on recent yeah. announcements yeah yeah i think so too um but i would i would highly recommend checking out that demo i think it does take a little bit to get into i think it's yeah. like i would recommend playing through the entirety of what the demo has to offer uh before you like really make up your mind on it because even early on i had learned like three tricks uh, that I could do and by then I was like I don't know if this is for me and then they unlock like the world map and you can start to like choose your own adventure in a way and that's when it got really interesting for me so I would definitely keep that in mind um, the other thing that launched day and date with that indie world is a game that you and I both played a little bit of which is called Soundfall which is a it's almost like a like a Diablo-esque looter experience uh it's more level based it's not like fully Diablo where you're like traveling you know a big open world or whatever but you hop into a level and you're running around killing enemies and stuff. But the big twist of the game, the big like hook of the game is that you're doing it as if it was a rhythm game. So there's at the bottom, there's kind of this like rhythm game adjacent timing meter that's happening. And you can you can attack off beat. But if you attack on beat, if you dodge on beat, if you block on beat, et cetera, et cetera, you do more damage. It'll be like a crit, essentially. Uh, so if you can continue to make your way through these levels and just constantly do things on beat, You'll be rewarded in various ways. You'll be able to make it through the uh, the level faster, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's an extremely cool idea. You and I both oh, picked yeah. this game up. I, I think immediately watching it in the direct, I was like, I can't believe I've never seen anybody do this. You know, the closest I can yeah. think of is like Crypt of the Necro Dancer and Cadence of Hyrule. But yeah. even that is like the timing of your own movement is based on that. And it's more like roguelike adjacent in that way. And this is very much like you have full agency over your movement in the world and you can attack offbeat, but like it's more it would be better for you to not uh, attack offbeat. Like if, if you if you right. can do everything in time with the song, um, that will be better for you. I have found it to be uh, like pretty good. 
you know that's like kind yeah. of where i've landed on it it's it's such a cool idea and it's executed really well my where i'm running into issues i think is like it's really hard first of all i'm having a really difficult time with it i don't know if you are but uh, i'm i'm like pretty far into it i would say and and it just ramps up in difficulty in a way that i wasn't really expecting you know as a person who like makes music and has been a musician for most of my life like i feel like i have pretty good rhythm and i'm having a very hard time keeping on beat and i think it really just comes down to like there are too many options available to me at any given time yeah so the act of like running around and moving and dashing and using the like you know multiple weapons that i have am i using ranged weapons am i switching weapons am i using my melee weapon like you get like a sword eventually uh dashing blocking things like that having all of that available to me at all times is actually a little bit too daunting to keep track of all of that and also use the rhythm game because i think if you removed the rhythm element this would just be like generally speaking like a pretty competent like dungeon crawler experience But as soon as you attach this rhythm element to it, it means that you need to spend a lot of time waiting between the moves that you're doing, like between your attacks, you know, depending on how quick or slow the song that you're playing is, which can sometimes be problematic because the enemies of the game are literally called like Discordians. They, they come from the land of Discord, <laughs> which is very funny. Yeah. Um, but they don't follow the beat at all. So it means that you're constantly yes. bumping up against things that are not bound to the same rules that you are, which is kind of my, it's kind of my big issue with it. Yeah, that's exactly, that was my observation as well. I mean, I, I also like really love the idea and I think that like, I, I commend them for, for taking the songs. I think it's, this is very hard to do even competently. Totally. So, like, I think they did a good job just like making it work in general. Yeah. And I love the presentation. There's like a really cool opening animation where you're like falling into the world of music. I love that. Mm-hmm. I've been playing it on the PS5 and this is also the first game I've played since like Ratchet and Clank that has really utilized the rumble feature oh, yeah. on the remote. So like that actually really helps with keeping the rhythm because mm-hmm. um, you're, you know, it's like you're getting a visual thing, but even if you take your eyes off the like meter on the bottom, you're feeling it as well. Yeah. So that has helped me. I'm still very early. I, I think I only did like two or three levels. Um, and I, But I found a similar thing where like early on, because they're really trying to teach you like this sort of uh, harder to grasp concept, because the game is, you know, this very experimental idea. The first two levels feel like a tutorial. And because of that, it's like a long time where you're just sort of like pushing one button, firing one missile yeah. over and over again. And I started to feel like it started to get really repetitive. And it, I didn't even really feel like I was part of the song as much as I was just like tapping a button, which yeah. I know is like what I'm doing. But I, I think of something like Sayonara Wild Hearts where you're like in it. Totally. I commend them for trying to do like the full blown, like you have free agency Diablo, you can run around and use whatever. I think this would have benefited from being like a little bit more on the rails. And I think the big thing is that the enemies, they are not attacking you to the rhythm. So like it feels separate from the song. And I think ideally this game, you, you want to feel like the chaos is part of the music Mm -hmm. and I haven't felt that yet. So it's a really cool experiment. I definitely think people should check it out. Like, it's a cool idea. And I'd love to see them like, you know, I, I'd like to see where this game goes. And I'd like to see like either them or someone else follow up on this idea. Yeah. But I, I think as it stands, I think you're right. I think it's like it's competent, but it's not like I was more excited about the idea than I feel in an execution. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, It is. I did learn that if you play it on PC, you can replace the uh the music tracks that come with the game with your own like you can throw your own music library in there uh and it'll you know figure out the beats of that stuff which is a really cool idea as well 
But that's Soundfall. I, I was playing it on the Switch. Uh, it also uses the the rumble on the Switch really well. Specifically in handheld, I found that that game felt really good. I was playing it on TV a little bit and then and then moved it to handheld mode and liked it a lot. Um, yeah, it's it's like pretty good. It's like pretty good. Um, I don't know if I'll go back to it, honestly, unless, you know, it gets some updates or something. But uh, I, I enjoy checking it out at least. Yeah, I'm glad I checked it out for sure. I have two more things that are not from the Switch Direct <gasps> that are both indie titles that I would like oh, to talk to you about. Hell yes. One of them dropped on Xbox Game Pass this week is also available on Switch and I think maybe PS5 as well. It's called Ayuden Chronicle Rising, which I played a little bit of on stream the other day and through on our YouTube because uh, I I had literally not heard of this at all. Like I didn't really know anything about it outside of it was coming to Game Pass. So a little bit of background on this because I just like amazed that this is real. <laughs> this this is very similar to do you remember when Bloodstained got backed on Kickstarter and then they yeah. ended up releasing like a kind of mini version of Bloodstained before like the, the big version that everybody backed came out? Yeah. This is very similar to that, where there's I see. there's a thing that's called Ayudin. Uh, I think it's like Hundred Heroes or something. Is a game that got backed on Kickstarter, made like I think a couple million dollars or something. Wow. It's it's by a bunch of the developers of the Suikoden series, which is this like kind of beloved side-scrolling action combat game, and they're making essentially like a spiritual follow-up to that. You know, the the same kind of situation that we've seen time and time again on kickstarter kind of like a uh mighty number nine or bloodstained for example as we were just talking about um kind of a similar thing but they've released this kind of micro game that's called iodine chronicle rising that came out straight to game pass as i said it's also on switch and it has a lot of the same features that the main game will have but the core loop of the thing is very different so so the main game is probably going to be more of like a classic rpg make your way through a story etc etc iden chronicle rising is really interesting because and i think this might end up being the one of the two that i like the most i don't know when 100 heroes is coming out but of of the two this is the more appealing one to me you play as this character named cj who shows up in this town that is known for having these ruins uh that house like this this big kind of like maybe like ancient city within the ruins. Um, And they're like charging people a lot of money to go into those ruins, you know, for like treasure hunters who are trying to like essentially excavate and take all the artifacts and sell them or whatever. They're like, you got to give us a cut of everything that you take out of here, uh, which is kind of wild. But the way the game works is as CJ, you make your way in here thinking like, I'm going to go into these ruins. I'm going to make a whole shitload of money and this is going to be great. I'm a treasure hunter. Sick. And very quickly find out that the thing that's more interesting about this town is the town itself and is the people who live there. So what you end up doing is very similar to like Kirby, the forgotten land or like a Tarrytown situation. Um, you're just kind of like doing quests for the people in town and rebuilding this place up because it's kind of become disheveled because so many people are focused on the ruins that the actual town itself has kind of fallen into disrepair. So a lot of the places like the inn and the tavern and the blacksmith and stuff like they're, they're, Houses have turned into shacks or have like fallen apart completely. But you, because of your ability to like go and you know beat the shit out of monsters and and craft and uh, get a bunch of equipment, can then go and like build these places back up. And it's really just nice, just like really heartwarming. The game is absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's so stunning yeah. looking. It's like really, really, really gorgeous. And the action combat stuff is like really competent and really well put together. I find all the writing to be like actually pretty good. Um, it, there were a lot of instances. If you go and watch the video, there are a lot of instances where I said something and then that was immediately the next line. Which I was like, <laughs> OK, so these people are talking like real people, I guess. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, you build up your party. Your first party member is like a gigantic kangaroo with like the buster sword who can like smash up giant rocks. Uh, That's all you have to tell me. You could have cut the segment down significantly. It's pretty tight. It's a pretty it's a pretty tight game. I like it a lot. Um, it, it's really it's really giving me that kind of tarry town. Like I'm just building yeah. up this town energy and uh, it's fun. I think you'll like it a lot. And it's on Game Pass. So it's kind of an that sounds that sounds wonderful. I mean, we talk a lot about RPGs that give you a strong sense of what you're fighting for. You know, yeah. cause so many plots are about like saving the world or these like gigantic stakes. But often you're kind of told that and you're sort of like going along for the spectacle. But when you actually feel like, oh, like I have a place here in the game and I am either improving it or saving it. Yeah. I think Dragon Quest Eleven does that really well on a global scale, which is mm-hmm. like hard to pull off. But like I, I, it sounds like that game is kind of focused on that idea of like just investing in a location and getting to know it and helping it and grow that alongside your party. That's really cool. I think the understanding from the development team that that is a really core aspect of RPGs and saying like, what if we just built an entire experience around that? Where like, that's even the narrative. Like the narrative is this player character who starts off as like a treasure hunter falling in love with the town. Like that's really very smart. Yeah. And and it works really well. I, I, I think, I think it's a really, really great experience. Um, I've enjoyed playing it. I've gone back. I will say, you know, I, I played the first hour of it on stream the other day. I do think the first hour is like pretty slow and very tutorial heavy and like, not super strong from that perspective, but like you'll get a taste of what the game is all about. Once they kind of like let the reins off and just kind of let you explore and just take on quests as you see fit. There's like a bounty board where you can like just take on quests or as many as you want and just go into the the forest or the mines or whatever and just like kind of do whatever you want. That's when the game like really starts to take off for me because you feel this real sense of progression. You really do feel like you're helping this place. It's really it's very nice. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where it gets into the the weirdness of it being like a spinoff of a main game that is coming down the line because the main game is going to be like much closer to what you would expect from like a side scrolling action beat em up RPG experience. Um, but this is way more compelling to me, I think, than that. Yeah, I think there's a lot to say about like smaller I don't know about smaller ambition, but like more focused storytelling in that way. Yeah. Like uh, at this point in time when there's so many games that are either mechanically trying to have everything and be giant world mm-hmm. maps or stories that are really high stakes. I think that there's a huge place for something that's like more grounded. Yeah. I mean, I think Stardew Valley taking off is not a coincidence where it's like that idea of like having a home and, and improving it in some way, whether it's like literally a farm sim where you're like getting to know the townspeople or a more kind of adventure RPG where that's like alongside leveling up and battling. Yeah. It's a thing that you and I talk about a lot. And I think we get asked a lot too, whenever we do questions about video games or whatever on, on the show is like, you know, what kind of, what kind of RPG experience would you like to see? And this is like very much in line with, I think what you and I always talk about is like, it doesn't always need to be like a big blue light shooting into the sky end of the world nightmare plot. It can just sometimes be like, hey, this town needs help. (laughs) And even if like I think uh, I'm going to bring up three houses again, Uh, but I think a game like that where like this sort of uh, big light in the sky dragons, a plot is happening. But the actual game is all about your relationships and like being a mentor figure. And like the fact that the, you know, the final notes of the game and the epilogue are all about like, where are the characters now? I mean, it's a Fire Mm -hmm. Emblem tradition, but like Three Houses, I think, is the first game in the series to realize like, oh, the characters are why most people are playing these games. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, obviously there's the tactic side and, and I think there is a definitely big divide in the audience, but like, I think by focusing on that and like really giving like genuinely good writing to the relationships and not just like, Hey, I'm outside too. What's up? <laughs> uh, it's, it's cool. See, so yeah, I, I think like having that kind of focused storytelling in a game, especially usually works more than it doesn't. Yeah. So I'd, I'd recommend checking this out. It's called Iodine Chronicle Rising. It's on Game Pass. I, 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 I mentioned this. It's also on Switch. I feel like it'd be really good on Switch. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to say, like, I'm going to go pick this up on Switch if it's also on Game Pass, just the nature of what Game Pass is. But uh, I feel like it'd be great on Switch. So just a heads up there. There is a, a huge pipeline of, like, play on Game Pass, get on Switch. That's, yeah. like, a, a common thing for me. Which usually happens for me. It happens for me a lot. Like, that just happened to me with Citizen Sleeper, where I... I, I started on xbox and finished it on switch and was like that that was a great experience i'm glad i did that um i had in chronicle rising because i had played like an hour and a half of it on stream on xbox was like well i feel like i should keep going here especially because the tutorial felt a little bit lengthy it was like i don't really know if i want to go through that again to be totally <laughs> honest but all that having been said there's one more game i want to tell you about which oh, please you haven't heard of at all i i had heard of but had heard mixed things about but uh there was an eShop sale that was happening recently. It might be over by the time this episode airs. Unfortunately, I'm not really sure, but I picked up a game called Earthlock and it was $5 down from like 30 or something. And I have frequently seen it on lists of like RPGs that are really, really kind of like underappreciated on the switch. Um, it came up pretty early in the switch's life cycle also. So there was a time where it was like one of the only RPGs on switch. This is like predating square Enix, just dumping all the final fantasies on there and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Early on, this was like one of the things that people uh, could pick up if they were a fan of RPGs. And this is also a Kickstarter game um, that launched a couple of years ago to pretty like I would go as far as saying like negative reception uh, for the most part early on. And the development team, I think, like realized pretty quickly that they had like goofed up in some way and just like wanted to make good on it. So they were going to uh, initially release this like big expansion pack for it and say like, hey, here's this cool big like story DLC, whatever. They just completely scrapped that and said, you know what, we're just going to focus all of that time and attention onto like making the main game as good as it can be. And this all happened like years ago, to be clear, which is, I think, why the game is five dollars now, because they're, I think, like full steam ahead on a sequel at this point, which is supposed to come out in the next couple of years. But Earthlock. The way it was pitched, and this is why I wanted to talk to you about it, and the reason I picked it up in the first place, the way it was pitched initially was this is trying to be like the PlayStation 1 era RPG. Like they're trying mm -hmm. very much to be Final Fantasy 8, Final Fantasy 9 specifically. It doesn't have painted backgrounds. It's full 3D. And for that reason, it feels a lot more Fantasian than it yeah. does Final Fantasy 9, I think like visually speaking. But they have really, really, really nailed the kind of like vibe and aesthetic of that game even without the painted backgrounds final fantasy 9 is, is is the one that they really point to the most as saying like this is our like main inspiration point there's there's a lot of stuff that you'll see throughout playing that uh feels a lot like some other games like the first thing that happens in the game is you're playing as uh somebody who's part of this like airship army that feels so final fantasy 8 like it has the same kind of uh like battle training school aesthetic to it yeah. that final fantasy 8 has and then you immediately switch characters you immediately switch perspectives to kind of like an indiana jones duo making their way into like this old temple to try and like retrieve a lost artifact just so you can sell it but the whole idea of the game is just trying to like recapture that magic of that era and it really does a very good job of that the thing that i think is really interesting and the thing that's really pulling me because I'm generally more mechanics focused, especially early on in an RPG like this. I tend to not care about the story until like 
there's something to care about, which will take like hours <laughs> usually. Yeah. So, you know, until that point happens, like the only thing you really have going for you is like, what is the combat like? In this case, they do a really interesting thing where they have all of these characters have multiple jobs the same way that they would in other RPGs. But you can switch between them at will in combat. So like your turn can be like I'm switching from like a ranged fighter to a thief, for example. And that that vibe is very cool. That experience in combat, you can see the turn order on the side and depending on like, is my, is the enemy that I'm up against like a flying enemy? Okay, cool. I, I'm not going to be able to hit them from the ground with my knife. So I'm going to need to use this turn to switch to my like ranged attack so I can like switch to my fucking gun and then shoot them <laughs> out of the sky, et cetera, et cetera. That, that idea of being able to switch jobs like mid combat on the fly, depending on what is, what you're up against, I think is really cool. It's really interesting. And uh, yeah, it's that's Earthlock. There's not a whole lot to say about it because I'm pretty early on in it, but um, I'm enjoying it a lot so far. I'm enjoying it a lot more than a lot of the reviews I've seen. And this might just be another case of me liking these like underappreciated, weirder RPGs that <laughs> kind of flew under the radar, very like Lost Sphere adjacent. Um, yeah. But I will say this. Even compared to something like Lost Sphere, I think this is way more up your alley. This is like way more the kind of thing that you'll like, because even if like the whole thing doesn't come together in the end, even if it's not like, you know, complete like slam dunk. I think the characters that they've set up are really interesting. There are already two that I've met that like as soon as I met them, I was like, these are big Steven characters. Like, I feel like <laughs> I feel like you in particular would really like these. But uh, there's a there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on here. And this is the kind of thing that I'm always surprised I'm not seeing more of in the indie space. And I know it's yeah. hard to make something like this. We see a lot of throwbacks to like 16 bit, 32 bit RPGs, you know, that era of like the Super Nintendo and the NES and stuff. Um, and that's. That's really cool and good, but I'm I'm waiting for this like influx of PS1 inspired stuff. I feel like you and I talk about games like this every once in a while. Like I feel like Paratopic is this kind of harkening back to like early Resident Evil Silent Hill era horror games with like using that polygonal aesthetic, you know, to to induce horror was really smart. And this game just saying like a lot of the systems of these old Final Fantasy games have been left behind and we want to explore that. We want to explore that kind of storytelling, I think, is really cool. You know, even if it doesn't like match one to one aesthetically, it kind of looks more like I had to train your dragon than it does a Final Fantasy for some reason. <laughs> but I, I found it really compelling so far. And I'm, I'm definitely going to play a lot more of it, I think. I always find it interesting how often in all media, like the limitations of the hardware at the time become the style of that era. Yeah, that is then imitated later. So like the PS1 era is so interesting because that is kind of the awkward phase for a lot of games, totally. it's not usually a style that people try to emulate directly. That being said, I don't think it's a coincidence that Nine was their main inspiration because I feel like right at the end of PS One, especially in the RPG space, Final Fantasy Nine and Chrono Cross like figured it out. Like right before the move yeah. to PS Two, those games are like the best example of like what is the the best execution of a PS1 game. Uh, <laughs> you see this a lot too on the DS, which, you know, we've been playing a lot of. And like, there are a lot of games on the DS that just do 3D because you can. And often it looks worse than like, yes. like Kirby Superstar, for example. Great port, but all the cutscenes are now just like 3D instead of the like original Super mm-hmm. Nintendo ones. And they all look way worse. They all look kind of like muted and like, yeah, not great. It's really bizarre. But then you have stuff where it's like, they fully knew the capability of the DS hardware and they used that to their advantage. I think like something like Mario Kart DS still looks wonderful. I was actually just about to bring up Mario Kart DS specifically because there are a lot of racing games on the DS. Like there yeah. are a lot of them. And if you look at the list of best selling uh, DS games, the only one on that list is Mario Kart DS. I think specifically because so many of them went directly to this headspace of like 
we can make something that is 3D and it can fit in your pocket. And that was as far as they got in terms of ideas. <laughs> you know, like a lot of them are like, you know, need for speed games that also came out on the PS2, but they needed to make a DS version. And like, obviously, that's not the place to play it. But Mario Kart DS built from the ground up for the DS using the 3D in a really smart way made that one of the best games on that system and and especially compared to all the other racing stuff i mean it's like head and shoulders above like even the next best racing game that i've played which is i can't even think of one honestly yeah i mean you see that too like you know comparing to the game boy advance where like that is a very special system because of the specific limitations on it and you see the pixel art and fire emblem and it's like still unmatched it's a beautiful game it's actually very disappointing to go to the ds fire emblem and see that they tried to do 3d there too and (laughs) it looks so bad yeah like and again, there's a lot of beautiful DS games, but I think that the DS and the PS1 and the N64 are all kind of under the same curse of yeah. like 3D is is not always your friend. It actually requires like, I think, a bit more finesse to to pull off well. Not that 16-bit doesn't, but I think it's simpler so you can get away like with less detail and it will still look like okay. Mm-hmm. But with 3D, like you've got to really do something because like on its own, it's going to look like shit. Yeah, or at least that yeah. style of 3D. But yeah, I, I, I think that like the good looking DS games and Chrono Cross and FF9, they all have a style that has kind of gone away. So I definitely think that there there are games like this that are trying to bring it back. And I imagine there will eventually be a, a larger wave of like that style being kind of its own retro look. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the interesting things about this game is that it ditches the the uh, pre-rendered backgrounds of Final Fantasy IX and like a Chrono Cross, for example. It definitely loses a lot of the charm of the actual aesthetic because of that. I think they do a great job. I think there's like a lot of great art direction. It's worth reiterating. This is like an indie development team, you know, so it's not like, yeah, it's not like a huge staff of people. So what they've managed to accomplish with such a small team is really remarkable, I think, by itself. But I am curious to see if eventually we do start to see like pre-rendered backgrounds show up aesthetically in indie titles like this, harkening back yeah. to that. Like that feel that feels like a logical next step, I think, for the kinds of games that are trying to emulate that era. Really, the best example of that is Fantasia. Is Fantasia. Which, like, I, totally I can't agree. imagine dioramas are going to take off in a mainstream way because that is no. so much work. But like they really pulled it off. I mean, that game looks yeah. amazing. And that that is like a really clever and creative way to reimagine pre-rendered backgrounds. It's like, what if we literally made a little world and took a picture yeah. of it? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm very. So you said it was uh, Earthlock? Earthlock, yeah. Earthlock, cool. Uh, as of the time of this recording, it is $5 on the eShop, which was kind I mean, of a no-brainer pickup yeah. for me. Because, again, I kept seeing it in lists of like, here's some like cool RPGs that you might not have heard of. And it was always alongside like Lost Sphere and I Am Setsuna and stuff, <laughs> you know, which I was like, yeah. cool. Yeah, hey, if that's if that's what you're comparing it against, then I I, I should check it out. Yeah, me totally. personally. That's it's part of my arc. <laughs> uh cool do you want to take a quick break and then uh move on to the next section that sounds really good sounds good i'll see you soon goodbye steven we're back in the show a weird thing has happened over the past week since we last recorded which is that kingdom hearts has re-entered my life in a pretty major way it's been a long time since those games came out it's been a long time since the first one dropped yeah it's been what that was 2001 yeah that was my first ps2 game I remember wow. that because that was like one of the first systems I bought for myself. Yeah. Uh, or I guess I think I bought the game. I was 11. I probably didn't buy a PS2. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's let's be real. What am I? Richie Rich? Yeah. But yeah, that was my first PS2 game. And I I, uh, I remember I got the first one. I got the second one. And then I thought I was set 
when when three eventually came out, right. I thought I was all good. Not the case, I was not. Yeah. my friend. Yeah, I uh, I just weirdly on a whim uh, a couple nights ago was like, I'm gonna stream Kingdom Hearts one. I have I have the one point five plus two point five remix hd collection on my playstation 5 this is not a bit that's the one to get even though it sounds like a a joke that is the collection to get no now they have the complete all-in-one package they have a thing that's called the story so far and it also includes the remake (laughs) of dream drop distance yeah i love that so much isn't it great it was right before i think it was uh like when three came out they they released like a complete like here's actually everything okay that, then that's the one to get that's sure. the one to get uh anyway so look i'll be honest uh i'm I'm playing the ones on the ds there's uh there's two on the nintendo ds there's two spinoffs one of them is called kingdom hearts recoded which is a nintendo ds remake of a mobile game that was japan only it's it's also like kind of a remake of the first game in a weird way where like yeah. Sora has to remember what happened in the first game because he's forgotten. Unless this was a dream I had, which is most of the series at this point. Yeah. But Jiminy Cricket is like begging you to remember yeah. or something. Yes. And it's it's yeah, it's like a it's almost like a Lion King one and a half of one. But yes. it's Jiminy and Data Sora. Jiminy Cricket's whole job in the first game is to keep track of everything that happens. And right. his diary, his journal gets erased. That's 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 what it is. Yes. And yes. you need to like crawl through Sora's memories to try and remember what happened in the first game is kind of the way it works. Uh, and you're playing as Data Sora, which is the joke that you and I always make. It's just the <laughs> fact that Data Sora is even like a character that exists. Yeah, it's it's not even the strangest character in the series, but it's it, Goofy just casually says Data Sora yeah. in three. And that was the moment I realized that one and two were not enough right, to prepare yeah. me for the story. D- Data Sora is emblematic of the larger issue, I think, with Kingdom Hearts as a franchise. I yeah. agree. Um, so I'm playing that one. It's like fine. It's like pretty good. I'll say this. The combat is actually really good in that game. It actually oh, feels cool. really good to like be in the action in that game. So I'm playing that one. I'm also playing Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days in which you play as Roxas, who has just joined Organization 13, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That game is incredible. It's very good. I love it. I'm excited. to play. I, I just started it, but it's very... Not surprising. It's very cutscene heavy for the first like yes. 45 minutes. So I've been getting like a sizzle reel of every organization member and like their element uh-huh. and their like favorite type of ice cream. Yep. Uh, so that's where I'm at in the story currently. But yes. I, I'm really it, it is like immediately a really cool idea for like the lore of Kingdom Hearts. because That's like without spoiling, you meet those characters. If you haven't played, I think, Chain of Memories where they're like first introduced they're kind of just thrown into two yeah, in a way that might be jarring. And I think it's, it is cool. Like I think the two kingdom hearts spinoffs that I know of, cause there's always more the minute you think, you know, all of them, but I think the two that like, or at least the most interesting to me are birth by sleep, which I have played and I really enjoyed, which is just a straight up prequel to one. Yeah. So like, while it does add like complication to the overall story, like it is actually really cool. It's another, like what if the prequels were good scenario. <laughs> um, and it does actually have a lot of, Star Wars prequel energy, which is funny. And then this, which is like, let's explore these these like very mysterious characters and like where they came from. Because there's something inherently tragic about the nobodies. Like I think, you know, yeah. they are beings that are created when someone becomes a heartless. So when their heart is stolen, the empty vessel is like left behind like a cicada shell almost. And yeah. then that becomes a sentient being. So what I gather is that they are villains, but they also like 
want to live again in a meaningful way. It's sort of like um, the way demons are defined in Dragon Age are spirits who want to be mortal. Mm. And it's a similar struggle, at least from limited information I have. (laughs) So that's that's how I read it, at least, which I think is like a cool storytelling subject. Yeah, I don't mind spoiling this, but 358 over two days will be in my top 10. Like there's no there's no doubt in my mind that that game is going to make it in there. I am having an absolutely unbelievable time with it. It's really good. And, And because of that, I was like, you know what? Now I think is the time it's been literally over 20 years hypothetically since i've played the first one i think it's time to like go back and do the franchise you know and like actually play all of them because like you i had really only played one two and then jumped into three i had played some of birth by sleep the same time you did you and i i think played a bunch of it uh simultaneously for the show but there are all of these other ones that i just like hadn't really checked out chain of memories i played on the game boy advance for the game boy advance bonus and did not enjoy at all to be clear yeah I think, me neither unfortunately i don't remember yeah. if we mentioned that in the episode but i had like a really bad time with that game in a way i wasn't expecting because i'd heard so much great stuff about it but there is a console remake of it that is included in the collection that i have so i'm excited to play that there are these two nintendo ds spinoffs 358 and recoded which i'm also playing and like that's exciting and that's cool and good there's dream drop distance which was a 3ds only one which i have not played um although i do have two copies of it here in my apartment for some reason (laughs) so and that is i think that is chronologically and very little chance of me being correct here so i apologize (laughs) but i think that's the one that like three picks up right away from like you are mid convo with yen sid from dream drop (laughs) distance and three this assumes that you also have two copies and you've played it recently and that's where three begins yeah it's it's like pokemon but they just had blue and blue and you had to play both (laughs) anyway uh I am excited to actually experience like the larger Kingdom Hearts lore of it all, because yeah. I, I think, you know, you and I have been joking throughout the, the past couple of minutes about this idea of there being just like a lot of spinoffs. There's actually not as many as you would really think. It's kind of wild. You and I were talking about this earlier in the week, but there are fewer Kingdom Hearts spinoffs than there are Metroid games, which I think says a lot just about like how much content there actually is to consume. I think like, obviously it's more about the text of what is contained within those spinoffs. That is the thing that is hard to grok. But in terms of like the amount of games you would need to play to actually like catch up on kingdom hearts, which to be clear again is a franchise that's been going for over 20 years at this point. Like, it's not that bad. It's it's really it's like pretty doable. Um, so I launched myself back into Kingdom Hearts one recently, uh, specifically playing the final mix because I've never played all of final mix before. And it's really good still. You you yeah. and I before three came out, we did a couple episodes. This was before we did bonus episodes and stuff. So like every once in a while, we would have episodes that were just like focused on a thing akin to a bonus episode. You and I had a couple episodes where we looked back at Kingdom Hearts one and two. And I think that's also when we played Birth by Sleep a little bit. Um, you yeah. played one and I played two. Um, Because I have a very strong affinity for two. I feel like, you know, you have very strong feelings about a lot of video games and I have very strong feelings about Kingdom Hearts 2. It is kind of funny how like I've always enjoyed Kingdom Hearts, but it's never been like my thing. Yeah. You know, and I think we said this on the episode, but I think that like every now and then there are video games that serve as an entryway into a genre. Yeah. And if like that's the one you got. Like, that's going to be your game. It's tethered to your heart yes. forever. Yeah. So for me, it was FF7. Um, for a lot of people, it was Kingdom Hearts. I feel like this this year, it was either Kingdom Hearts or FF10. Like, that was your astrology. Yeah. If you if you wanted to get into video games in 2001, mm-hmm. those were, are you Titus's laugh or are you, like, Popsicle on the beach? Those are your two <laughs> choices. And uh, I remember playing Kingdom Hearts 1 and being really, like, as a Final Fantasy fan and, like, a low-key, like, 
I liked Disney, but it wasn't like the thing I was like obsessed over. I, I kind of went into Kingdom Hearts one as like a snobby 11 year old being like, will this work? Like, do I want to see Cloud and Goofy together? Right. And I think it's like the, the, the beauty of one is still that it worked so well from the get go. Yeah. That like the self-importance of Final Fantasy and the inherent silliness of Disney are the perfect cocktail in right. that game. Yeah. And I think that the world's design in one, while you definitely stumble into some like PS2 platforming, which like is bad, every <laughs> world is focused on a different idea. So like Alice in Wonderland is all about puzzles and like finding things and secrets. Mm-hmm. Tarzan is all about platforming and swinging around. Hercules is all about like tournament coliseum fights. So like that is something that you kind of lose a little bit. In the series, at least from what I remember, like, yeah, I love some of the worlds in two, but they feel more like visual spectacles than like different game design showcases. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Like Steamboat Willie and Tron are like top tier Kingdom Hearts worlds for me, but it's mostly because like of how they're animated and how like the outfits change and just like the atmosphere of it. The one I think did a really clever thing by being like, okay, every world is going to be like, here's what the game could have felt like entirely, but we're just going to give you like a little sample of it here yeah i think it's a really cool idea it's really smart yeah that that, that's the thing that i had never really picked up on until playing through it this time um which has been a really cool experience i'm i'm still pretty early on i think i'm like six or seven hours in at the time of this recording i think it's like 20 to 30 hours total so it's it's also like considerably shorter than a lot of the other games which is nice but uh i it, it really holds up it really holds up in a way i wasn't expecting because i always thought that going back to the first one would be like mechanically rough especially compared to some of the highs of two um, and where they end up going with three, which is like almost like too far in the direction of like, just press a press the attack button. Yeah. You know? Like pure chaos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, that having been said, playing, playing one is, is really working for me. And alongside that, I'm really amazed at how well they're able to capture that style of combat for these DS games. I, I, I think it's just like remarkable. This, it really gets into what we've been kind of alluding to earlier in the episode, talking about the talking about uh, racing games and stuff like that. But this idea of like, just because you can do 3D doesn't mean you should. They really did make like a full ass Kingdom Hearts game more than once on the Nintendo DS. Like it really does feel almost exactly like you're playing on the PlayStation 2 in a lot of ways. Going so far as like, 358 over two days, the first, I would say, three or four hours takes place in Twilight Town, which is like kind of the crux, like the main hub of uh, of Kingdom Hearts 2 for the first three or four hours as well. And they just recreated that whole space. Like it really looks exactly like it does on the PS2, just on a very tiny Nintendo DS screen. The only big change about it really is that because you don't have a right analog stick, you have to control the camera by pressing L and R. And honestly, that has become so quickly ingrained in my head that I find myself when I'm playing 3D games on consoles now trying to press L and R to change the camera because I've been playing so much of 358 over two days and recoded, uh, which is very silly. But I don't know. I ju- it just feels like Kingdom Hearts is like back in the air for me in a pretty big way. So I just wanted to bring it up because like it might be a recurring thing as I continue <laughs> to make my way through the franchise. And it's like it's even like bleeding outside of just like me playing the games. But like I was at a I was at a um, launch event for a podcast the other night and I ran into somebody who saw I was wearing a PlayStation portable shirt from across the room and was like, let me tell you about Kingdom Hearts. I have a Kingdom Hearts tattoo on my leg. I love Kingdom Hearts. Uh, this person was playing the the Switch version. They're playing the cloud version, which, oh, cool. uh, well, 
they're like it's you know, <laughs> is it cool yeah it's awful it's like truly like oh, a, a nightmare that, it, that that exists and they were like it's the worst way to play my favorite franchise is what they said to me which i was like that's really sad and then after that event i went out for drinks with some people that i had met and uh we went into this sake bar that was blasting simple and clean which oh was my God. <laughs> like unbelievable. I, it just it feels like it's in the air. You know, Kingdom Hearts 4 is being made somewhere. It's all it's all happening. So Kingdom Hearts is back. Uh, if you want to watch that playthrough that's available on our YouTube, um, I'm, I'm going to continue to make my way through it. I'm committed to at least finishing the first one. We'll see how well I do in terms of playing the entire <laughs> franchise. I think this will be like a multi-year project if it's a thing that I will yeah. actually end up doing. But I'm actually really excited because I'm playing it in release order, which means that that I immediately get to go from Kingdom Hearts 1 into Chain of Memories, which is like a game that I really don't know anything about because I disliked playing the Game Boy Advance one so much that I just kind of hopped out. <laughs> and then you get two. It's very funny yeah. that Kingdom Hearts 2 is third of nine games. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, there's like 15 pieces of content total, but a lot of them are like weird movies that they've just included in, in those collections. Yeah. And then there's one, uh, I think it's 0.2 of Fragmentary Passage. It's yeah. like, it's it's a game starring Aqua, who's from Birth by Sleep, but it's like a three-hour like episode, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a sequel to Birth by Sleep and a prequel to Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> uh, it, it tells the story of what happened in between there and is supposed to be kind of like Dream Drop Distance, like I think happening alongside that in the lead up to 3 or something. Yeah, what I'm curious about is like, I think the elephant in the room is that you know, this has to end with you revisiting three and finishing three. Yeah. And let me, let me be clear. Cause I think, I think Kingdom Hearts three has become uh, an outlier for us where it's like, it's the one episode where we like devoted an episode to a game that we didn't enjoy. Yeah. I don't think that game is like awful. It just wasn't really from what I played. It didn't really, uh, especially going, I think playing one and then jumping right to three, I think was maybe a mistake because yeah. The atmosphere of one and the storytelling of one is so simple, mm -hmm. like and clean. If you yeah. just played, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got it. I don't have to say anything else. But I was gonna say, uh, like, if you play Kingdom Hearts one, and you didn't know that the series continued, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have any more questions, right? You know, like you would just be like, okay, cool, he found his friends, great, yeah. And then there's all this stuff that's like the idea of nothing personified, and you know, yeah. Horace the horse in 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 public domain Disney Town. It is um, it is so funny how you go from like even just playing one to two. The amount of backstory and lore and stuff they included in Chain of Memories, which is the only game that came out in between there, is enough for you to play two and be like, I don't know what's going on. Sometimes you know, and then yeah. to know that there are actually nine video games between two and three, I think speaks a lot to why you and I had such a bad time with three. I I, I think it's a I think it's a huge failing of the game to not assume that people didn't play every single side story that they had released over the course of literally 10 years uh because again i mean as we've mentioned many times they were all released on different platforms also so like who had a psp and a nintendo ds at the same time and also a game boy advance and also like you just needed to somehow weirdly be on the same track as tetsuya nomura you know like yeah whatever console he was interested in at the time is the one that they made <laughs> stuff for but uh that having been said, like, I am curious to see if playing three, actually having played all of those in between games does make for a better experience. I feel like it might. And it might be a little like, you know, you just live in the world for so long that you become attached to those characters, whether you like it or not. Like, it might be a situation where, like, 
you know, it doesn't mean it's good, but I sure do like it kind of kind of vibe. Um, yeah. And there's so, there's a place for that, for sure. I have totally. so many pieces of media in my life that fit that exactly. What yeah. I've heard from people who have finished it, it seems like the finale like is good. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's I mean, there's you know, there's there's a lot to criticize with three. I think that like the, the big thing for me is that just mechanically it didn't feel as good. There was so much happening with like summoning Disney rides and all that. Like, yeah. you know, just it it one really is like very simple and like, you know, this slow ramp up of abilities. That was one of the first games that square made that was like combining real time with RPG mechanics. And I think for a while it was like the gold standard up yeah. until like maybe even FF seven remake, honestly. Yeah. You know, like that I, was was say, like, I think yeah. final fantasy 15 is really competent. I think, I think that that combat is actually the star of that game. Yeah. Oh, totally. For sure. Um, and going to the diner after like killing a weird dragon. <laughs> yeah. Like, Let's eat him. <laughs> but uh, anyway, all that being said, I'm very excited for you to like go through it all and, and maybe even find more appreciation for three. Cause that would be very on brand for the show as well. Yeah. So like reexamine your own experience. And I don't think like there's not a world in which either of us like does a dragon quest 11, 180 on kingdom hearts three, but I'm sure like, right. There could be some element of appreciation for it. I will say it's a beautiful game. It looks great. Yeah, like, it's really it's pretty. One of the nicest looking games on the PS4 for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I am I am curious about Kingdom Hearts 4 specifically because it sure looks like Sora is just in the real world now, <laughs> uh, which is very funny. And also Kingdom Hearts 4 is supposed to be like a new story. They're like one through three and all of those games that happened in between there are all like their own self-contained thing. And now we're moving on to something new. And and I'm wondering if there will be like any level of restraint there. You know, I'm wondering if there will be like (laughs) any level of like maybe there shouldn't be 14 games in between Kingdom Hearts 4 and 5. You know, like maybe we'll pare it back. But the thing that I've already started to experience through Recoded and through 358 over two days um, and from what you and I know of Birth by Sleep and from what I've heard about Chain of Memories is like, I feel like I feel like Tetsuya Nomura gets dunked on a lot for for this experience, this Kingdom Hearts story and how like wild and kind of out of control it got. But at the core of them, even if the story is nonsense, like a lot of the games are actually exploring some really fucking cool ideas. Like there's some really interesting things. I think like Chain of Memories has the foundational element of this like kind of card system and this like deck based battle system that's incorporating like build your deck alongside doing the combat that is really cool and i i think it's like way too big for its britches on the game boy advance which is why i'm so excited to check out the console version yeah that seems like really fascinating to me recoded you know it's it's a remake of a mobile game but if you go back and kind of look at what's going on with the mobile game it's really it's really interesting i'll maybe talk more about it in the in the in the ds bonus eventually um but 358 over two days was kind of the like aha moment for me with what Nomura was trying to do in terms of like bringing Kingdom Hearts to different platforms because 358 over two days specifically is Roxas going through 358 days of being like an Organization 13 member and you take on missions for Organization 13 like you're doing stuff for the larger group and every time you do that it progresses that counter that like day counter up one more which is so perfect for a handheld game specifically. Like it really is about like opening your DS, getting a mission in, saving the game, closing it up and like coming back the next day and doing it the next day. It's almost like an animal crossing loop in a weird way. Um, And that's really smart. That's like a really smart way of taking this core conceit of what Kingdom Hearts is supposed to be and trying to trying to figure out a way to make a console level video game work on a handheld. It's really compelling. And there's this whole other element that I think is really stellar. Just the story and the characters are like actually really good 
like actually really, really good in a way that I very much was not expecting. Uh, but, uh, you know, just open your heart to it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> it's kind of given me this greater appreciation for what Nomura was trying to do with these games. I, I think as far as I can tell from the ones that I've played, he really did take into account what platform this stuff came out on and use that to its own advantage to make a, a Kingdom Hearts game that felt native to that platform. And that's cool. Like, that's good. I, that's that's what you're supposed to do. That's a lot better than a lot of the other DS stuff I've played, at least. Uh, and yeah, a lot better sure. than even a lot of the Game Boy Advance stuff that we played for that episode as well. As much as I didn't enjoy Chain of Memories, I can appreciate saying like, hey, a full ass 3D Kingdom Hearts combat system is not going to work on this platform. So what can we do? Oh, yeah. Deck building. <laughs> yeah. And I do love the presentation of that game. Like, I like yeah. this sort of 16 bit version of Kingdom Hearts. Kind of isometric. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's very charming. I think the only one that doesn't really feel like that is Kingdom Hearts 3, where I remember when we talked about mm-hmm. that years ago, your theory was that it was a PS2 game that like got delayed so indefinitely. And now it's coming out on the PS4. Yeah. And that's kind of what it feels like. I think that's kind of why some of the magic is lost is like it kind of feels like they just had to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm sure they're they're excited about it and there's things to applaud about it, obviously. But like it, it does sort of I think the fact that it starts like, you know, right after Dream Drop Distance. Yeah really speaks to a lot of like, okay, this is just like the ending they had planned and we're getting it now, Mm -hmm. you know? And now that even though I'm not like super interested in Kingdom Hearts four, I am interested in the idea of like, like you mentioned before a new story, like what is like act one of whatever is next, (laughs) you know? So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it and I'm, I'm excited to keep going with this, with this playthrough of the original series. Yeah. The original trilogy. What is it? Is it the Xehanort saga? Is that what it's called? I, think that, like I that. think that might be what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Xehanort's somewhere in all. He's like the Palpatine of, of that universe. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they just named that because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe doing the Infinity Saga. I wonder if they were like, that's cool. Let's do that. What, 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 what's, what sounds like Infinity? Xehanort. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen you in Xehanort years. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah let's wrap up you're right you want to wrap up yeah let's do it it's funny when you say infinity out loud it ends the episode mm-hmm. anyway thank you so much for listening uh, if you like the show the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend as you might already know into the online is our hub for everything links to our youtube and twitch where you can watch all the videos brendan just mentioned uh we're doing a little bit more streaming which has been fun um we've got the pokemon red and blue bonus on the horizon so that should come out like later this month you're playing it on the cartridge on your game boy advance which is pretty fun playing game boy games on the game boy advance they like stick out if they have like a front flip yeah on the game boy Advance. it's really silly i like it i love it um so that episode should come out later this month and then next month is the ds potentially like late june yeah early july the season five premiere that's very exciting and daunting I think that's pretty much it. Uh, a special thanks to our patrons, as always. Uh, and the link to the Patreon is also at IntoTheCast.online. Shout out to the Discord for being great. Uh, just thank you all. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, that was that was pretty concise. Nice. Yeah. All right. Sick. Hey, let's uh, let's leave so I can play more Kingdom Hearts then. <laughs> My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I, I have a lot I of games to make it through. No, no, I know, I know, I know. I just, I, I, I just imagine signing all my emails with let's leave so I can play more Kingdom Hearts, Stephen. <laughs> well, that's all for now. I have to get back to playing Animal Crossing New Leaf on my Nintendo 3DS. Anyway, I'll see you later. I got to play 0.2 of Fragmentary Passion starring Aqua from Birth by Sleep. And if you haven't played Birth by Sleep, you can choose who you start as first. Terra, Venthus, or Aqua. I know what you're thinking. Venthus looks a lot like Roxas, and he's voiced by the same celebrity. Well, buckle up. We're going to find out a lot about them.
You want to say your name? Oh, <laughs> I'm Ventus. I kind of look like Roxas. Uh, I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Goodbye. <laughs> no, Brendan. I did mine already. I was so lost in yeah, my Yeah, I weird, did mine, and yeah. then you launched into some weird shit about Ventus. <laughs> You're the one playing them. You know all about <laughs> Ventus. You'll get the Ventus. What's the name of this land? <laughs> all right, goodbye. I've forgotten it. All right, bye. Worst garbage, the online.